A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Mm, hello and happy holidays from Curiosityness. Okay. It's me, Travis DeRose, the host of the show, Curiosityness, which is the show you're listening to, where we I interview people who are interesting and we hear about what they have to say. So if you've ever been curious or interested in those like crazy Christmas light displays that are synchronized to music, you're going to learn how those are made right now. Because I'm talking to Darren Vader of Extreme Lightscapes, who is one of the original architects of this kind of stuff he's uh been doing this stuff for a while and it's kind of a behind the scenes look at how all that lighting and pyrotechnics no not really but lighting and how it all works and how it's synchronized to music the different types of lighting the effects that you can get how all this stuff kind of started um it's an interesting look at at all that kind of stuff because i've always been curious about how they're fun to watch just to watch but i love learning the behind the scenes stuff of how things come about and how someone actually builds this stuff so let's get into it here is darren vader telling us about holiday light displays darren what's up welcome to the show man hey thanks for having me yeah stoked to talk this is a busy season for you yeah very busy in fact this year we uh Usually November, right, is the thing for for my line of work, and uh, I, th- I think that holds true for pretty much anyone. But this year, I guess over the past several years, uh, it's, we started trying to push people to do work earlier, uh, you know, or, uh, so we could do more, right? Over there, yeah, right. And uh, and then the great Christmas light fight, that TV show, you know, uh, I don't know if yeah, you've heard of that. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, when it came on the air a few years ago. Um, we had a few clients who were on that show. And so now they're doing installs in August and July for Christmas, you know, and it just stayed that way. So now it's sort of like <laughs> August through January is all Christmas all the time. And uh, so this year, actually, October is the busiest month for us. And wow. usually it's November. So it's weird. Anyway, it's, it's been a strange transition. But pretty Jeez, interesting. man. Wow. So they're starting in August. Are they are you guys just starting to, you know, build them out at that time, build out the displays, or are they actually showing this stuff this early? It's usually build out. And then, uh, like some of the installations of the projects that we work on actually take that amount of time to right. like from, from, from July or August until November to get them all installed. Um, and that, that, that's usually the case. So, but they're also usually people or, or companies who are actually opening their events earlier than most, you know, so they, they'll open early November. So about a month earlier than a lot of people traditionally do, you know, right. Uh, so, and the first year you know, we spend about six months of the year, just planning these things. And, uh, and then six months putting them in. So, yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Cause that's, I mean, we've all seen these like crazy, you know, synchronized light shows and everything. And it's awesome. But I've always been super interested in how, these things even happen like what the behind the scenes work is so let's dive into that so i mean let's start with what when someone asks you kind of what you do what's your what's your answer for them like (laughs) how do you explain what your profession is i guess yeah that's a fun one so everyone in this business that's like we always joke around about that question because there, there is no right answer and no one understands. No one understands when we say anything, anything that comes out of our mouths, you know? So I've, I've said that like, we used to say, well, 
a Christmas lighting. And then you get this, oh, you hang lights on houses. I need my house lit up, you know, and they're like, <laughs> and no, not, not that, you know, and <laughs> not that. And, or, or they'll say, oh, you know, well, how much would you charge to do my house? And I will say, well, we have a minimum of $15,000. So how does it work for you? <laughs> you know? Or then I just stopped saying Christmas lighting. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to call myself a lighting designer. Okay. And then but people I know who are in the production lighting world, um, you know, doing lighting design for concerts and architectural lighting and things like that, then they started making fun of me. <laughs> They're like, you're not a lighting designer. You're a Christmas light guy. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? You know, I sort of was like, well, I'm never going to win this one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard one to answer. People never understand exactly. Even our insurance companies don't understand what we do. You know, they, they don't know what to do with us either, you know. So it's pretty weird. That's right. Weird. It's, a, it's a gray area. But uh, yeah, I settled on blinkologist. That's kind of what I've settled on is I'm a okay. blinkologist. That's yeah. good. That's a term no one else has, I'm guessing. <laughs> Maybe not. You should trademark that. Yeah, you can claim that one. Okay, man. And then, so I, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but like, how did this all begin? How did you get into this stuff? Yeah, I think um, if you go back to the early 2000s or so, um, there was just a few people doing these kind of light shows at their houses that were synchronized with music. Right. And uh, the first time I saw one, I thought it was fake. That was like, you know, some sort of uh, after effects craziness or something with uh, somebody uh, creating something right? Um, in the AI space. And it uh, turns out, it, you know, it wasn't. Um, so it drove me crazy that I couldn't figure out immediately how they did that yeah. until a uh, light bulb went off one day in a Target store. And I, it suddenly hit me. I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. So I ran over to the extension cord aisle and bought all of them that they had, which was $800 worth of extension cords, I think, that day. And uh, and uh, we ran home and uh, built a controller to basically use, this call them relays, you know, to control voltage to, to all these extension cords. And now all the lights are blinking and uh, to the right. music. And so over the course of a few years, uh, the all the neighbors, I, I went to all the neighbors and said, hey, can I borrow your front yard? And can I borrow your front yard? And, you know, we I think we had five or six houses all in a row kind of all done up and danced around at one point. And somewhere in there, uh, a home builder in Texas came and asked, called one day and asked if we'd do one on some of their model homes. So I was like, I don't know. Sure, I guess. You know, so they're like, how much? And, um, I, th I think we did it for $6,000 or something. It was very small. It's a very, very small thing. We, I, I called a guy I know who strung residential Christmas lighting and, uh, we went and put it up in about four hours and he went and cashed the check and brought me my half. And I said, wow, we just made a thousand dollars an hour. I think I want in on this. Right. Yeah. My, my punchline is we've never made a thousand dollars an hour since then, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's where it started. And so I started, you know, soliciting commercial business and I, and I went into it knowing I didn't want to do uh, residential light shows, you know, for, uh, with the business, mm -hmm. uh, I really wanted bigger, bigger projects. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, we started pushing to smaller businesses and churches was a big one early on that we, we worked with oh. and still work, still work with a lot of churches. Uh -huh. Um, and then over the years, they've just gotten bigger and bigger. I, I used to be a corporate marketing guy back at that time when I started the business. And so Extreme Lightscapes came to life out of uh, 
having been a marketing guy, a music theory and composition major and, you know, lifelong musician and a guy who loves Christmas. And, you know, <laughs> one day you wake up and it's all mashed together in a pot. I love technology. I love music and I love uh, Christmas. So it all just kind of ended up in the same pot. Yeah. And, uh, year over year over year, the projects just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, we just did a project for NASA a couple weeks ago and we did, uh, yeah. Uh, just came back from, uh, uh, the Joint Reserve Base down in New Orleans yesterday, in fact, where it was very cool because we got to do a big show for the service folks down there, which was pretty cool to be able to do. So, yeah, it's come a long way since Dude, it started. That's awesome, yard. man. Yeah, that, that's like such a good I love the like organic story of how that just sort of happened. And then you sort of had like this this perfect storm of background experiences to bring this stuff all together, man. It's it's cool. It worked out nicely. Yeah. So and then was this like when did this stuff start kind of happening? Was it early 2000s when and it just kind of started with people building little controllers and and just having their, you know, classic Christmas lights blink on and off to and stuff like that? Yeah, kind of. It actually, if you get there's some guys, uh, you know, in the in the world of synchronized Christmas lighting, which uh-huh. has changed a lot over the last 15 years. Um, pretty much everybody who's ever done it is knows each other. Um, for uh, that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration now, but but 10 years ago, absolutely every single person doing it knew each other. But yeah. some of the guys, uh, they really did. They they were doing synchronized light shows in the I would I want to say as back as the early 90s even or maybe even late 80s where they were building the controllers themselves, you know, and uh, these yeah. engineers and programmers and, and making things happen. Um, and usually on a smaller, well, absolutely on a smaller scale than that right. we see today. Uh, but still, those guys were, you know, way out in the in the leading edge of, of what we're doing now. And I would say I know a few of those guys that are well into their retirement years now, let's just say. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting when I talk to them and, and you know, I'm talking to a guy who's uh, who's been doing synchronized light shows since you know 1985 or something when I was still in high school you know, or whatever. Because yeah. uh, the real modern way of doing things didn't really come about until really the last few years. So but there are guys who've been making it happen for 20 years almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to talk to those guys. Yeah, that's gnarly. So what can you like I have sort of a, a basic understanding of electronics and stuff, but so can you kind of walk me through like what that, you know, in the in the 90s and stuff like what their process kind of looked for building these things? Yeah, it's actually, so the process of building is not really that much different to today. So the biggest piece of the background in this synchronized light show line of work that, that really you need to understand is that it all comes from the do-it-yourself community, the DIY community, yeah. all of it. Even the commercial products that are, exist now, they started there. Somebody built it in their garage and um, they ended up as a commercial product. Right. And so, you know, some of the availability of production for, you know, circuit boards and things like that has has become more readily available and easily available to hobbyists. You know, anyone can design if you have the skill set to design a product and have it manufactured. It's not that hard anymore. Where 20 years ago, it was a little more difficult to make that sort of thing happen, you know, unless you knew somebody kind of thing. Um, 
So I, I don't know a lot about how the guys did it in the old days, <laughs> but but I know they did it. And, yeah. and usually it's like they're buying parts and pieces from the hardware store. And my grandfather, he never built a light controller, but he used to go down to the uh, landfill on the weekends and scrounge around through all the appliances and junk that people would, you know, <laughs> throw in the landfill. And he'd take all the light bulbs out of the refrigerators or the, you know, bike <laughs> wheels or whatever. He just, he, he was a scavenger, you know, and right. I, I, I I feel like a lot of the guys in the early light show world were a little bit of that mentality where they just, they were taking parts and pieces. Um, and usually these guys were engineers so that they knew how things worked. And, uh, so they, they had a knowledge and it combined with their interests to be able to take just the parts and pieces that they knew would make lights turn on and off. Um, yeah. and they just, they just did it. You know, uh, I, I could have never done that. I still couldn't do, it. I let other people do all of that, <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, so it's, it's, you know, interesting that those guys were probably building, for example, um, in, in this world of like synchronization, we often, uh, refer to projects or props within a display as having, uh, you know, X number of channels, uh, channels is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, a flip, like you ever seen a flip book, you know, if you draw like the rabbit running on 40 pages and then you, you flip it and it looks like the rabbit's running. It's right. sort of, this, sort of the same idea with, with, um, AC lighting anyway. So back, even when I first started in this, my first light show was 16 channels. And, uh, I think two days ago we installed just a Christmas tree that had something like, uh, 90,000 channels on it or something like that. It was just a Christmas tree. So it's like everything everything is way, 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 way crazier than it was, you know, before. Yeah. And, and a lot of the key, uh, people who are doing the building uh, of these controllers now are, you know, engineers and hobbyists who they have a day job. Uh, they just enjoy doing these things on the side. In fact, there's a, a guy who builds, uh, pixel lighting controllers, designs and builds them, um, that almost everyone uses now, uh, it's called the Falcon pixel controller and uh, we use it. Everybody uses their, the, his products, but you know, it's just a guy. He's just one guy. This <laughs> happens to sell the most popular product in this space. And, uh, it'll, he'll either uh, keep growing and go commercial or, um, somebody will buy it from him and make it commercial. Cause it's, it's too popular to keep it in someone's garage. You know? Right. Oh man, that's so cool. I love how stuff like that happens. And then, so when you were first kind of starting your first show, did you have it um, synchronized to music? I did. Uh, in fact, we didn't do very much decorating at all before that. It kind of went from zero to a hundred, just like poof, uh, overnight. But it's really funny because the first year that I did a show at my house, I don't ever show anybody the videos of that anymore uh-huh. because it's absolutely embarrassing it's it's a horrible installation like it's very weird like half the roof line's done and there's one window that's not lit up it's it's a very bizarre uh very poor installation and uh and one little controller on 16 channels but at the time very few people were doing that so that video had i think over the course of two seasons like four or five million views on youtube and we're talking about 2006 not not now you know yeah right so 2006 four million five million views on youtube was pretty high right. and uh today that's peanuts <laughs> but, but then it was uh it was a lot so yeah, we were one of the early uh sort of viral guys but because of that it's still out there and i'm i i'm just i always dis- disown it i'm like i don't i don't have anything to do with that one i try to distract people I'm like no look at this video of something we did last year it's much better right yeah uh, man 
No, that's cool. That must have been pretty exciting, though, to see that take off on YouTube at that time. And, I mean, you were just experimenting and learning and, and doing what you could at the time, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, my uh, my history as a marketer um, in those days is sort of, I'm certainly pushed, helped push the business into uh, its, its uh, being born. And uh, because uh, we'd run into people every once in a while who would who come out to the house to see the light show that... Uh, they drive in from, you know, some, some distance and they'd sit there and sort of look at it with a smirk on their face. And every once in a while, somebody would ask me, like, why were you on the news last night? Why is there a helicopter flying over your house right now? And why are there 300 cars in each direction playing chicken? This isn't that big. And I said, I know, but I raised my hand and told people that I had the best light show in Texas. Yeah. And 90% of them believe it. <laughs> so <laughs> here they are. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a marketer. This is what I do. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. Every year it became a, uh, a process where we would write a press release, send it off to all the news outlets. And, you know, then they would all come out and everybody would, you know, a big, big to do and all the neighbors, this big party in the street and, and mm-hmm. all that. And uh, and then over the years, uh, I think during those days, there there might have been six or seven people in North Texas doing that type of a thing at Christmas time. Yeah. And now there's six or seven in every neighborhood. You know, it's yeah. a, there are a lot of people doing big shows and big displays now. So it's a, uh, it's not quite the same anymore with, uh, all that, uh, press releasing and, uh, you know, news, news guy interest anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead we've moved on to do gigantic commercial projects and that keeps our interest in there. So, yeah, no, that's cool that you do some crazy stuff. Um, so can we talk about sort of what the, the build process is for a, a display, like as of now with the current technology and everything that, that kind of works up, like how, how you start with designing and, and building and programming or whatever you need to do. Yeah, it, absolutely. Cause it makes, it, it's, <laughs> it's a love hate relationship I have with that entire process. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so yeah, you typically, um, at least, at least for my company, for extreme lightscapes, like we don't market anything, um, anymore because the phone just rings all the time. Nice. And, uh, so, and, and I'm, a, I'm a, a weird breed of person that I don't want to have a huge organization. So just in the last, probably three months, we, I probably turned down 30 or 40 projects just because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to grow. I don't want to have that many people. Right. Um, That's great. Uh, and, uh, but but my mind is being changed slowly, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe next year, but the pro it's been part of it's because of the process. So we, I get asked, I'll, I'll swing back to your question in just a second, but, but a little preface to, to the process would be, um, because it's so seasonal and focused on Christmas. Um, like we get asked all the time, like, why don't you do more Halloween? And we've done Halloween, but not as much, obviously as Christmas or, you know, why don't we do less seasonal work? Let's do nightclubs. Let's do, um, music festivals. Let's do, you know, other types of things, which I've also started doing, but through a different company, I started a company called Lumen Immersive Media, like, uh, about two years ago to focus on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but with the Christmas space, you know, we're starting design and proposal work in December, usually for the following year, sometimes earlier. Yeah. And, and it can be a process, but I mean, you have to keep in mind that the organizations that, that I'm working with are large and complex and filled with bureaucracy and, you know, all, you know, 8 million decision makers and too many chiefs and all of that stuff. Right. Uh, and so 
they're slow. All of them. They're really slow. And it's, I don't like slow. I hate inefficiency. So working with almost all of my clients across the board is a little painful for me because I I just, I can't stand the inefficiency of multiple levels of management and meetings to talk about meetings and all of this other crazy stuff that goes on. But you have to suck it up and go through that process to, you know, to get where you're going. So that takes up a huge chunk of the first part of the process is, um, sort of uh, figuring out what the client wants because half the time they don't really know. They just see something on YouTube and they call you up and say, I want to do that. Right. And uh, then you have to educate them and, you know, what can they achieve in their venue, whatever that uh, venue may be, you know, because every venue is different to like, we just did an install on a football field. Uh, you know, that's different than uh, and installed inside a shopping center or inside a tunnel under a freeway overpass, which I also just did. Oh, or, cool. you know, there's all, like, they're all different. Like I've, I, so whenever it, during that process, inevitably that first step where we're just kind of trying to figure out what they're trying to achieve and how we can help them achieve it. Um, they, they have to really be educated most times on just because they saw something on YouTube doesn't mean it's going to work, you know, in their, venue. Right. And so they'll say things often like, uh, Hey, here's a video I saw. How much is that going to cost me? And I'm like, well, that's not, it's not a valid question. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so we have to go through the process and once we've helped them define for themselves, you know, what, what it is they're trying to achieve. Then we start talking about the things that we could do to help them achieve it. And that's when we start doing budgets and start putting real proposals together. So that by then you're talking usually around March, April, May timeframe usually. Um, and then, uh, then it becomes about approvals and, you know, the, the, it's all the business side of things. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, a lot of times, especially people who do a first year show event, they don't understand that when I tell them I need, uh, to be starting on their programming or their project in May, they, they they think, well, that's way early. Like why? So they just ignore me often, you know, and, uh, this happened last year. I won't name any names, but there was a project that, uh, you know, it was sort of put off and put off and approvals and this and that. And I, I actually finally kind of blew them off. I was like, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. So I moved on. Right. And then about two months later, so this would have been probably August. Uh, and by the way, it's the largest project that we're doing this year. And, uh, they, they just out of nowhere, they sent the contract and wired the deposit just didn't just I hadn't talked to him in two months and just one day it shows up and it was like, Oh no, (laughs) now we have to do this project. And (laughs) so I I, I had to go scramble and find a whole nother team to go help get that one done. Um, but so you go through that process and, and once, once all the creative stuff is done, the designs are done and everything's locked and loaded, the contracts are signed. Um, then we work on, um, production schedules, uh, which could mean almost anything. It depends on, the event, um, if it's a light show event, which most of ours, uh, I would say all of them include a component somewhere within the display. Um, we have to talk about, you know, which songs are going to be used and, uh, how the, how the schedule is going to play out for, uh, for the show itself, playback of the show. Mm. And there's always other elements to the venue. So a lot of times we're doing big commercial Christmas trees, you know, so those things take a while to produce and, uh, and other, props and elements, commercial decor, you know, things like this, everything is different. And, and, you know, it's, it's really amazing that I don't think people 
and, and they shouldn't. I was going to say the, the public, when they see the displays that we build, like our goal is to just make them smile. That's the whole, that's the entire thing is yeah. uh, you smile because our client had a vision and we helped them execute it. And, you know, now, now everybody's happy. That, that's the whole thing about it that we love. Um, and I can talk more about that because that's important to me. Um, but the, uh, the, the things that we see when we're standing there and people are, are walking past something that we've built are very different than what the public sees. So, um, you know, an example, well, if you, if you saw one of our spreadsheets with the, you know, sort of the line items, um, in, uh, in the, in a planning document, um, in terms of pro procurement, you know, that here's all the things we need to purchase for this particular project. There are thousands of line items long usually, yeah. and, uh, and include everything from, you know, six figure Christmas trees to 50 cent electrical tape. It's just massive list of, of product that has to go into these things. Or sometimes we build, uh, or have a challenge. So what we had one project, this was fantastic. Um, uh, the convention center in new Orleans a few years ago, we went through about a year and a half of planning to do this big light show on the, the kind of a new facade that they just built on this convention center. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were sitting down to go over the contracts and finalize the designs after uh, easily 18 months probably of, of planning. And uh, that was the first meeting that the, uh, uh, I can't remember his title, but the, the, the main guy, the guy that had to put a stamp of approval on it yeah. um, was, was in the meeting. And uh, he said, this is great, but we cannot attach anything to the front of the building. And I was like, wait, we just spent 18 months designing an entire facade that is completely covered in lighting. Yeah. He said, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. You can't attach anything to the building. So I told him, I said, hold on. And this is what I love about what we do. If people don't ever think about these things, like this is all stuff that happens behind the scenes, because if I skip the middle part, I'm about to tell you and go to the end, the end is we did it anyway, but we didn't attach anything to the building. And I'll, and I'll tell you how, but the public didn't know that all the public saw was this big, huge, gigantic wall of dancing lights. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but in between the signing of that document and people being able to see the fruits of our labor, um, we had to figure out how not to attach them to the building. <laughs> and, uh, and so we had some guys come over there and look at the facade of the building. And long story short, there, there was a framework underneath the surface of the building that was sort of a skeleton. Uh -huh. um, so we, we built a steel frame with standoffs that went all the way. It was a grid. We just built a big giant steel grid all over the building that attached to this sort of skeleton underneath the panels on the outside of the building. So, and then we strung the lights on that. And, uh, so when we saw that, when it was finished, it was beautiful. We loved it, but yeah. we would all sort of stand off to the side and look across the building. Cause you could see that one inch gap between the building and the lights. And yeah. that's what, that's what we were the most proud of was like, we actually pulled that up. The public right. had no idea. The public didn't care or have any idea, but that was our like, achievement. The achievement was something the public didn't see or care about. It was, it's, those are the things that are fun when you do this for a living is you, you want to provide something that gives those smiles and creates traditions and does all those great things for families. Um, but at the same time, like I want, I want to, I want to have a challenge behind it. You know, like yeah, anybody right. Anybody can slap some lights on a roof and call it a day, but <laughs> not everybody can attach 10 million lights to the front of a building without attaching them to the front of the building. So yeah, it was kind of, that's crazy. So was that guy's concern just that he didn't want to ruin their new facade on the building? Yeah, they literally, uh, it was, uh, so I don't remember the type of metal, but it was a, some kind of a metal facade and, uh, he didn't want to get it scratched up or dinged up or drill any holes in it or any, anything like that. Right. Um, 
but it all all worked out in the end, which was pretty cool. So I'm being really long winded to finish this whole process. So we get through, (laughs) we get through all that design and then, you know, we schedule installation, uh, and usually the building of things, we build a lot of things, um, display pieces. Um, we actually have a metal shop here in Dallas. And so we build a lot of things here and we work with partners all over the world. Um, we work with a company based in Chicago. That's a rep for a manufacturer in France that does a lot of stuff for us. And, uh, that all happens at the same time that we're doing the programming of any light show components. So usually through July, August timeframe. And, uh, and then we just start scheduling installations and, you know, some of them are huge. We, we do a, a zoo here in Dallas that we've been installing since July and it actually, uh, goes live next week. So that took a long time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to do. Uh, and then, uh, once everything's installed, you end up in December and then, uh, you get some sleep finally. And I call it, I call it the eye of the storm. That, that's what I call December because all of the work we've done is all installed and running. Um, and it doesn't always go perfectly. Um, weather is a huge factor um, in what we do. In fact, uh, we installed a project in New Orleans last week and uh, there was a tropical storm that came through there last Friday. So that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't go into any more detail than that, but it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, it created some, some challenges. Uh, but that's all short up and you know, you get into December and you basically kind of walk around when you're in this line of work um, on your, on your tiptoes or on pins and needles and just super stressed out all the time. Cause you just know that your phone's going to ring at any second and something terrible will have happened somewhere that you're going to have to go take care of as fast as possible. Um, and it's challenging for a company like mine where we're based in Dallas, but we do projects all, all over the country and all over the world. So um, you know, whenever I do a project that is, that requires a flight time to, to get there, mm-hmm. I, I always, I always try to get the client to have somebody sort of as a part of our installation crew so that they at least understand the basics of how things work so that we can do better troubleshooting, um, on the phone with them. Yeah. Um, and I have some clients who, they don't want to deal with that. So they, if there's, there's not often problems. I mean, realistically they're, there's some, there are more often than not are temporary problems caused by weather. So, you know, something will get wet, um, but when it dries out, everything is fine or, you know, that, that type of a thing. Um, but, but these folks who spend all this time and money putting these displays together, you know, having one night that a show is not running is not acceptable, um, in, in their eyes. Um, so there have been times we have quite a few clients who they're completely hands off. They just, we handle everything, including maintenance, which is, a challenge in November. And, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's been plenty of times, uh, I'd say at least three or four over the last three or four or five years when, you know, somebody calls and says they, they have a problem that they can't figure out and they need it taken care of before the next show, which is the next evening. Yeah. And, you know, I'm Orlando and they're in uh, Denver, you know, and it's like, okay, I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so it's, That's there are some, some seasons with more sleep than others. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So, and then, so what is like the, is there a software side component to all this stuff? There is. And, uh, a lot of this stuff has been, uh, changing actually over the years. So when, when we started doing light shows, um, we became a partner with a company called Lightorama. We were one of their first partners and we're still a partner of theirs. Um, uh-huh. But there has been a huge shift in uh, 
in the technology and the lighting that is being used for these shows just really over the last few years. And so in the lighterama space, their technology in the, in the beginning was primarily focused on controlling, we refer to them as AC lights. So they, they manufacture AC controllers, meaning controllers that um, will dim and fade and synchronize uh, traditional uh, 110 volt, uh, you know, uh, light strands and bulbs and things like that. Traditional Christmas lighting. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, that's where all of this kind of came from. They were really probably the first or one of the first commercial providers of that type of equipment. So we became a partner and we're using their product, um, still use their product for, for that type of a thing. Uh, and then somewhere here over the last several years, there's been a shift to RGB based lighting for everything on oh. earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, think, think, Christmas displays. So I think it was probably two years ago. Um, so I, I tend to take a, a philosophy with extreme lightscapes that I don't, I don't like to make a shift into a new technology when it's still new or unproven, mm-hmm. or if I, or if I think it's just going to be a trend or a fad. And uh, right. so, so I was, I think I was wrong in this one. Uh, where uh, I see people sort of transitioning to using RGB pixel-based lighting in their Christmas displays, which have more of a uh, like a pastel-y kind of hue to the colors, which okay. is different than like a traditional sort of Christmas-like mm-hmm. um, color. Um, and they don't look, they don't have the same form factor. So, you know, a, a traditional Christmas mini light or a traditional C9 bulb you'd find on a roof, those shapes don't don't exist in the, in the RGB world. So I always looked at it and like, well, it looks like Easter and it doesn't look like Christmas lights. So this thing's not going to last very long. Right. Well, I started saying that about five years ago. So, uh-huh. uh, so I guess maybe I'm wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, and there was another aspect to it, which was, as I mentioned, we were partners with Lightorama, which is, you know, a commercial provider of UL rated, you know, equipment, um, which is required for many commercial projects. And, uh, so the, in the in the RGB space, there there wasn't any type. There is and still isn't like a real commercial provider of fully supported commercially uh, equipment. Hmm. Um, there are people who are building and designing uh, board controller boards, which are fantastic boards, but they're not. A, UL rated commercial entity or a finished product. We still have to add power supply. We have to build the actual controller. I see. Um, so um, you asked about software, and this is where it's coming from. So because of the shift in the types of lighting being used, there's also a shift in the type of hardware being used, um, which has created a shift in the type of software being used. Yeah. And so back in the Lightorama days, Lightorama also. Um, uh, provides a software suite for controlling their controllers and uh, creating light show sequences and and scheduling them and playing shows back and things like that. Um, So we use that for years and years and years and years. Um, Really for us, we didn't move to uh, another open source tool called X-Lights, which is what we use now Mm -hmm. um, for the most part until I guess two years ago, we we finally started transitioning everything to uh, RGB and X-Lights. And uh, Lightorama also has done that with their software. You know, they've they've transitioned uh, into versions of the software that support uh, RGB and pixel-based displays, and they offer pixel-based products and things like that now. Uh, but their uh, the Xlights product is an open-source product, and it's it's extremely powerful. You basically can pretty much do anything that you you want done with it, and and so that's where we have 
gravitated to on, on the software side. The, the, the only challenge we ever see, and I, I always tell this to the guys, there's a team of people who uh, uh, volunteer to, to work on the development team of that, that open source product. Yeah. And what we don't have in the open, I, like I hate using open source products in a commercial environment. I absolutely despise it. Mm-hmm. And there's only one reason. It's because there's never the, the release cycles are erratic. Yeah. They they just come out randomly, and you know, and they come out not very well vetted or, or tested. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, is cyclical because when an open source product is not very well QA'd or tested, that means it's more likely to have an issue. Which means there's going to have to be a, yet another random immediate release to fix, you know, a bug. <laughs> and uh, so that's what happens with with Xlight. It's just this seemingly random erratic chaos of releases, and uh, we every year we just you have to pick a spot within the, in the year and just say stop. This is this is the version we're using, and that's it. No, no matter what comes out from here, mm-hmm. um, it's it's maddening. Where in the commercial space, like we also use a tool called Madrix, which is a commercial software package made by uh, a company in, in uh, Germany, um, and it's very expensive. <laughs> it's definitely not open source. Yeah, um, they maybe have one release every year or two um but when they do a release it's stable there's never anything wrong with it it's it's dead on and i'm like this is commercial software this is what we, this is what we really should be using yeah uh, but actually it's just so powerful oh jeez i was talking to somebody the other day i said i need to get with those guys and just buy that thing i need to buy the code take it all out of the open source market no forking no nothing repackage it Two twice a year uh, release cycles, true plug-in architecture, yep. a better interface, and a commercially supported license line, and be done with it. <laughs> That's what go. I'm going to do. Right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get another company rolling here. And then, so when you're, I don't know. I guess there's probably a lot of components to the software, but when you are using it, are you like looking at an image of the the house or you know the commercial property or and stuff like that? to kind of program this stuff or what does it sort of look like, I guess? Yeah. So I would say depends on who's doing the programming or sequencing. I, I had I, a lot of people use the word programming, um, which is misleading because nobody's doing any code writing. It's right. uh, I think sequencing is a better term. We're sort of massaging the, the sound and lights to, to dance together. Mm-hmm. Um, and different sequencers, meaning the people who are doing the sequencing, um, I think have a different approach, but, uh, from a software perspective, um, another thing that makes Xlights kind of fantastic. If you choose to go this way is that there's actually a three-dimensional modeling approach. So you, you can actually build a three-dimensional rendering of a building or a house or a tree or whatever you're doing so that when you apply the lighting to this visualization, um, you, you can see it as you're, as you're doing the sequencing. Um, and it's, it's rather accurate, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, a lot different than when I first started doing this, where we use visualization tools that looked like, um, I don't know, sort of an Etch-a-Sketch or a Lightbrite. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was not, not the same. But because I come from that world where uh, we didn't have 3D modeling and visualization or even 2D pho- photographic-based visualization um, which I think is what most people use probably still is a two-dimensional a photograph that, yeah. that we basically lay the, the lighting onto in a visualization tool. And then when the, when the programming plays back 
it'll it'll play the music and you can see the the lights dancing, you know, on on your building or whatever. Right. Uh, but I come from a world where I don't need that. It's I, I can visualize things in my head. I don't. I when I do a visualization, all I'm doing is throwing dots on the on there to make sure that things are blinking the way they're supposed to be blinking. But I don't. I don't really very often use a true visualization because I don't. I don't need to. But that's because I come from a world of etch sketches and light brights. So <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You learned on the other method. And then, yeah. so, and then just to jump back to clarify too, about when you're talking about like RGB and pixel based stuff, that's where it's, you know, it's similar. Cause I've been learning a lot about like digital billboards and that's basically what they are is like, you know, three LEDs, red, green, and blue that can make nearly any color then. Right. And you can create like a, an image essentially. Yeah, that's right. In, in some cases. So the first part of what your your statement is absolutely accurate. Um, red, green, blue, in every bulb. We'll use that word. We call them pixels, but it's a bulb, okay. uh, LED, LED based, uh, and there are many, many, many different shapes and sizes of them. And yes, uh, depending on the bit depth of the pixel or the bulb, um, you know, sixteen million colors or or more uh, or less, <laughs> depending on on the bulb, but. Yeah. Most people will use that number. Um, and what gets interesting is where you go to the second part of your statement. So, um, you know, using them like a billboard or displaying images and things like that across them. Um, so the answer to that is really sort of it depends. And uh, it all depends on uh, density. So a good example might be a project we worked on last week where we have some walk through tunnels. You know, people are walking through these tunnels um, and there are some rather large pixels or big balls. And that kind of go up and over this archway, and they're five feet apart, which is pretty far apart. So we're not going to be running any pictures of snowflakes across that. It's you know, right. it's just cool patterns and color changing and things like that. And on the same project, there's a Christmas tree that has something like I think forty or fifty thousand pixels on it, and they're they're dense enough that we can run video clips of you know snowflakes and large objects and things around this this tree um so it's about density um and, and there's another phenomenon that's happened especially in the residential side of, of light shows um around this density issue it's not not an issue that's not the right word but uh, around the density equation let's say is like uh i don't know when the trend started but probably a couple of years ago maybe more uh, people started using rgb pixels to build um what we call a matrix uh which is just a big square or rectangle with a bunch of these things in it that look like a billboard, like, right. like you were saying. And uh, when I first saw somebody do that, you know, they were probably on three or four inch spaced apart. So you're still not showing movies on it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, but it's doing cool patterns and things. But the first thing I thought of, like, why would you do that? It looks like a television. And uh, over the years now, people have started doing them tighter and tighter and tighter to where they're on like, you know, one inch spacing. And, uh, and even now there's a, uh, Folks in, in home displays using uh, the same kind of really, really uh, tightly spaced um, panels that you see on like a jumbotron at a football game or something. You know, the same exact panels. So it, it is it is a television. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's cheaper to get the Sony down at Best Buy and stick it in the window than it is to build that thing. Yeah, you know? really. So, and, and then also why? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand exactly. And so we have clients who will ask because they see these. Our, our clients will see this stuff on YouTube or whatever. And even this this one we worked on yesterday, uh, the one I mentioned was on a football field. So the client was like, hey, we want to put a big grid up here between the goalposts. And I just said, No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. why? 
because that's ridiculous. Just hang a TV up there. Why, why, I don't understand why you would do that. Yeah. You can do something cooler than that. So anyway, I just said, no, we're not putting anything in that goalpost. Right. So now the there's expert. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more about opinion than it is any expert opinion, right? That's just sort of right. like Darren doesn't want to hang televisions everywhere. <laughs> Um, and then are you guys doing anything with like, uh, augmented reality projection kind of stuff? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, uh, so there's, there are a couple of things there. Like I've been trying to get things in the direction, especially on the projection side for, for years. And, uh, it's a little bit of a hard market to break into because there are, there are uh, people in the audio visual space and the, uh, sort of event production space that have been doing that for a while. And, um, so that's usually who people go to first. So we haven't done, we've done one project that was a projection mapping um, at, on a casino. Um, that, and it was several years ago now. So when it was really expensive <laughs> to do, so yeah. we were stoked to get the project, but um, that was the only one we've actually done uh, at that level. Uh, but then the augmented reality side of things is actually more interesting because that's, that's more applicable to our clients and to what we're doing for them. And really this past year, um, I mentioned earlier a French company that we work with their representatives here in the, in the States on. Um, so the company here is called Artistic Holiday Designs and they're, they're based out of Chicago. Um, they, they rep a company called LeBlanc Illumination out of France. And so they came up with this idea of using augmented reality to first, they started using it for their trade show just internally. Like, so they, they would um, have people come into their booth and stick some VR headsets on, you know, and uh, be able to walk through some of their decor in a virtual environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was really cool. Like, no, I had never seen anybody do that before. Well, then they took the idea um, and moved it into an augmented reality type of an application uh, on the client side. And so we started talking, we haven't implemented it this year because I ran out of time, but, uh, but I know that they, they're offering that their, their technology behind augmented reality. And, and the ideas are fantastic. They're sort of, you know, the idea is you build an app that's venue specific, um, for, for a client and, you know, depending on the target, maybe you've got, you know, an adult target audience, you've got a teen target audience, you've got a young kid target audience, and you can create any number of uh, sort of games that are augmented, you know, using your 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 phone um, in an augmented space. Or, you know, you can set up, for example, this is simple, but it's great marketing ploy, is um, if you have a piece of decor that is popular for people to do photo ops in front of, which is always what we try to have, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you don't you don't have to put. Um, let me see how I'm going to say this, reverse it. So if somebody stands in front of this particular piece and they use their phone and they use that app to take a photo of their kids or whatever, it, you know, automatically, like they got a theme park, it'll put the logo and, you know, different things around that photo. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's little things like that where we're trying to give our clients, you know, more branding uh, yeah. capabilities, um, but also give the, the, their visitors um, some more interactive type of things to do. And that's where I think augmented reality is actually going to, I think we'll see more of it this year. We're definitely going to do some of that this year coming mm-hmm. up and, and going forward. It's a perfect environment for it. Um, especially like games with kids, you know, go, go find this reindeer or do this thing or do that thing and uh, do it in an interactive fashion using an app is, uh, it's going to happen yeah. more and more. So yeah, yeah it's happening. that's cool so, stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, and then a question I had, you kind of 
alluded to it, but um, like when, like let's say for the zoo that you just did, for example, their display, is that kind of like a, a build it once and then they can put it back up every year or how does that work? Yeah. So there's a few components, right? So you've got like the light show components, you've got general lighting, which is, you know, light strings and bulbs wrapped around trees and buildings. And then you'll have um, display pieces or, or props, um, which, so for example, um, in the zoo environment, we'll have, like, we have a giant 3D lit up elephant that's like real, real size, you know, and, 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 and things like that. They, we've got giraffes and elephants and all kinds of things out there. Um, so it depends on, uh, on, the, on the piece. Uh, in, in theory, all of it is reusable and, you know, it all comes down. Uh, actually, in their environment, it doesn't all come down. They leave a lot of tree wrappings and things like that up all year. But, but just for sake of conversation, uh, usually they all come down, uh, you know, January time frame. And then uh, for them, it's July, and they start putting it all back up. Um, but the reality is that that's that's a great theory. You know, everything you know is going to last forever. But um, but it doesn't. You know, especially in an environment like that, which is like a park like environment. So they've got all kinds of critters eating wire all day long so the the reality is i would say between 10 and 40 percent depending on the weather and and how hungry the squirrels were uh you know of of the product is is either lost or damaged um, any given year Mm -hmm. Uh, that that would be in an environment like that 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 would be high uh for other environments you know we we have indoor environments that you know they that those products generally unless there's some freak of nature or a, a weird power problem they, they they do last almost forever uh-huh. uh, so it sort of depends on the environment but in theory yes up okay. down up down up down up down up down reuse yeah. most of our clients will add new things every year you know, to, and uh, or change things out so keeps things fresh and new and shiny mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so are you generally involved with kind of that you know up down situation or are they are clients sort of generally able to do that do that themselves I would say that we're more generally involved than not. Uh, I try, it, it's interesting because it sort of goes back to the, what I mentioned earlier about how, you know, we could do 50 or 60 projects a year, but I don't want to do 50 or 60 projects a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what I have to do is try to focus my team on what we do best and eliminate the things that we that anyone can do. And one of those things is we just call it general labor, you know, installation of lighting. Um, in our world, that's, that's not our core competency. Not that we don't have the competency. It's just not where it's not efficient to spend our time, um, wrapping lights around trees. That's, that's not really what we get paid to do. Um, but we have clients who need us to, so we do, uh, you know, but when I when I when I'm doing a new proposal for a new client, I always pitch this as a consultancy first, and uh, and then uh, it, what what tends to happen is I say so we're going to be your designer, we're going to be your consultant, we're going to we're going to procure. I can't say that word. We're going to buy all your products for you, <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to we're going to make everything happen for your your project, and then we're going to take your people and teach them how to install it. Yeah. and they look at. They may, and that's about when they start looking at me like, yeah, no. <laughs> Have you seen and, our people? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it, I, I try to push it that way um, most of the time. But what I've learned over the last, I guess, few years of doing things that way was that the projects, I, we either have to spend a lot of time with 
with client teams who are doing that installation. Otherwise, the quality drops, as you might imagine, but not to our standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of the time, really, what we're doing now is not a full installation with my team, but we're using my team as sort of crew leaders or on-site project managers for for other teams of people. So we have my team does quality assurance. Other people do the actual installation. Right. For for the most part, we still do full installations of um, more technical projects. Um, I mentioned uh, a big light show that we did under a highway overpass, for example. So. Yeah. There was all sorts of weird stuff with that one that I was not going to leave up to anyone else to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tr- trying to get a an approval from the Texas Department of Transportation to drill a hole in a concrete beam on the underside of a freeway. <laughs> I can imagine so, that was, yeah. Give that a shot. See how, <laughs> see how that, that rolls. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you have to account for things like uh, you, you have to bring in engineers for the weirdest things sometimes. Like in that case, it was the vibration of the, the concrete uh, and how it was going to affect these this tracking that we were we were putting on the uh, on the on the concrete. Yeah. And so when you're working in that environment and this that installation started over the summer. So in Texas, you know, it's 100 degrees. But when you're in a lift with your head stuck right underneath the roadway. In the middle of summer in Texas, it's about 150 degrees up there, and uh, and the, you can you suddenly start seeing things that people I don't think like people, generally people don't think about. So who thinks about the vibration on the underside of a highway when you drive over a bridge? I would say nobody except the engineer who built it. <laughs> and, uh, but but we did, and we brought in an engineer because there's a constant vibration, and when a big truck goes by, it, it's it's more of a it's more of a thud than a vibration. You know, <laughs> so you had to you had to write. And have somebody to 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 design the right approach to to do an installation like that or wind load. We do a big project for the Atlanta Braves, and uh, they have um, this. Uh, I don't know what it's called. It's sort of a canopy, but the roof of this canopy is about 100 feet in the air, and we have uh, I think 10 big sort of matrix panels, like I was talking the televisions I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, hanging from 100 feet up, you know, down about 30 or 40 feet. Um, there's 10 of them. So it's something like 300 feet by 40 feet. It's ginormous. Whoa. And when we went through that process and went through the engineering process, uh, uh, there was there was some interesting requirements. You know, one of them was that we, we had to have uh, enough open surface area, in other words, not solid surface, to to allow, uh, I can't remember what the number was off the top of my head now, but a, a wind, wind speed of something like 70 miles an hour or something, um, oh. or it would break. But at the same time, it required that the cabling that we use to secure these things actually had a breaking point of pretty low, actually, something like 50 pounds or something. Um, so they, they, they wanted the, the, the these curtains, basically, to be able to let as much wind pass through them as possible. And at the same time, if the wind speed got too high, they wanted them to be able to break off, you know, and float away instead of uh, damaging the structure, you know. Right. And, uh, so it's things like that. It's like people go, it's just Christmas lights. No, it's, it's not really just Christmas lights. There's, there's yeah. that. But again, I mentioned when we first started talking, that's the fun part to me is the things that we learn every day um, from uh, from electricians and from engineers and all the people that we get to work with. And uh, it, it's it's. You know, I'm 50 years old, and I'm still learning really crazy new things all the time. Um, it's it's almost maybe it's part of why I love my job. Is sort of you, you you can have a job where you do the same thing every single day, um, 
and you're, you're getting paid because of what you know. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so in general, people like to continue learning, but you're in a role where you're probably going to only continue learning the things that are going to help you advance in that role. And, uh, where in my world, it's almost the opposite. It's, I do this weird thing that I do, and it's all these other people that I get to work with who are educating me on all kinds of different stuff, everything from you know plumbing and electrical and wind speeds and all this engineering stuff, and, uh, and I love it. And it's, it's just get all this random knowledge from really, really smart people. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. uh, uh, it helps make our customers' displays better and safer and, and all that, uh, and it's it's really fun to do that. Uh, metal guys, that's another one. Uh, welding techniques. I never thought I'd learn so much about the differences mm-hmm. between welding aluminum and steel, but you know, we do. So, right. All Dude, it sounds fun. Yeah. That's awesome. So I would imagine myself included that some people listening are hearing this and like kind of want to get started themselves and try this stuff out. So how would you, do you have any tips or recommendations of how someone could kind of get started on this stuff as a, a DIY kind of thing? Yes, I, I actually have several. First is that they should check out um, some of the online forums um, in this DIY community for synchronized Christmas lighting enthusiasts um, because uh, it's a great community of people. And uh, some, I can't even think of some of the names off the top of my head, but there are X-Lights related forums specific to the software that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there are usually regional groups of Christmas decorators that host meetings locally. So you can kind of meet, meet up type things in person right. um, all over the country. And uh, some of them are rather large. Um, but there, there are the online forums is where most people start is they poke around looking for, you know, synchronized light show forums. And there's a ton of them out there. Um, Facebook groups, you know, that type of thing. Um, and everybody wants to help the new guy get started. It's, it's a real great community. There's even uh, there's a little, conference, I guess, trade show thing called Christmas Expo, um, which anybody getting started should absolutely attend. Um, and that's where probably everyone who's ever been on the great Christmas I fight attends that, that okay. conference, uh, as well as the, uh, trans world Christmas show in St. Louis every year. Those are the two, uh, I, I would say that the Christmas Expo event is probably better for somebody just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, trans world is geared a little bit more towards the commercial side. Um, but that would be that'd be a great place to start. Um, I'd also say so in my uh, world, what what I've done over the years is we have this uh, extreme lightscapes, you know, my company that does the light shows, and over the years we uh, that evolved into um, some direct buying from overseas, which led to um, the founding of the ChristmasLightEmporium.com a few years ago, which is um, an online retailer of more traditional Christmas lighting and some RGB things. Um, and so it's, it's places like that, like the Christmas Emporium.com, which is founded by people who do large commercial light shows for a living and who come from a DIY background um, doing home displays. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't very many suppliers. In fact, I can't think of any who have that background in, in their ownership and are growing as fast. In fact, that company is the biggest part of my business is in terms of revenue and growth. And, um, and I'm pretty sure it's because, um, most of, um, most of our customers know, know what, know who owns the company and know what the background is. So yeah. when they, call, they, they have, they usually have way more complex questions for us than 
uh, you know, your traditional guy buying Christmas lights at Target might have for the sales associate at Target. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's why they that's why they buy with us because we we help them do what they need to do and we have the knowledge to do that. Um, so that's that's fun, um, and we we focus on customer service. For all my companies, that's the number one thing is you know the customer service. But we also focus on what I call keeping it real, which is uh, if a customer's not being cool, I fire them. That's <laughs> I don't, it's, it's, I think every relationship in business is a two way street. And uh, if, if you don't have a two way street, then someone is going to lose. And, uh, and I don't, I don't want any part of those kinds of relationships. So it's, uh, it's a thing where I always kind of require a two way street. And that's the same way we treat our customers at the Christmas site Emporium. It's like, we, for example, it's not, we're not, we get questions every day. In fact, this morning, there was a few um, people that uh, they, they just ask, uh, if we have, you know, any discounts or discounts happening or whatever. And, and we just don't like, we basically don't discount anything. And I'm not trying to be, you know, whatever, a jerk about that or whatever, mm-hmm. but we, just, we just don't. And, uh, you know, I, I always explain, you know, this is a two way street. I can give you, you know, a huge discount on every order you make and then not be here for you when you need me two years from now, or we can all just settle on a two way street and everybody's happy and you yeah. get a great product with a, with a, we have a one year return policy. Nobody does that. Right? So it's sort of like uh, you, you have to have this partnership that gives the customer something above and beyond. And, uh, and then also ask them to give a little something, which is like, you know, you, you can go buy from the cheapest supplier with no warranty and no return policy and all of that stuff if you want to. Mm-hmm. But I prefer that you take our fair pricing and all of our great benefits and our very high customer service rating and, and stay with us in a partnership. That's, that's how I do extreme lightscapes. That's how I do the Christmas Island Emporium and uh, Lumen immersive media too. Same, same approach seems to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, dude, that's awesome that you have the, uh, that you have the freedom to do that and you can do that cause it's your own, you know, your own companies and everything and you can run them like you want to. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'd, I'd, if, if anybody wants to know any more about my philosophy or even yourself, you know, in terms of uh, our conversation, there's an about us page at the Christmas site emporium.com, which is a, a very sort of personal uh, write up that I did one day when I was trying to figure out how I got here, um, why I've gotten everything I want in life. And, uh, you know, why do I deserve this? What, what am I doing right because that's a hard I think that's a hard thing for people to think about is like pat yourself on the back it's what it feels like it feels like you're trying to pat yourself on the back which generally in our culture is not it's not looked upon with a smile you know they like, must well, you know stop that you know, unless you deserve it right <laughs> but but you sit there and I'm like no I gotta I gotta think through this like in a real sort of heartfelt thoughtful way like what what got me here mm-hmm. and I just started writing and uh you know, about an hour or an hour and a half later, I think the truth was on paper. And I'm like, this is it right here. And uh, it has a lot to do with my mother and how I was raised and, and, you know, one thing leading to another and why we do what we do. And uh, in, and in summary, I, I guess you could say that I call it hope. That's it. Like we help people bring more hope into the world. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a whole lineage about why I think that way up there on that website, if anybody cared to take a look at it. So, Dude, that's awesome. Man, Darren, I love it. Thanks for sharing all this stuff. I yeah, like I spent some time on uh, on the Christmas Light Emporium and just like, dude, it, 
you can easily get sucked in with all that stuff. It's so fun to look at that stuff and just kind of uh, explore around there. So um, I will have links to all your websites for people listening to uh, check all that stuff out and, and, you know, explore on this stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, I'll let you get back to work and uh, appreciate your, your time coming on here. Thanks much. Thanks for having me, man. And boom, there you go. Episode 75 is done. Wow, I've done 75 episodes of this show. That's pretty good. Uh, But thank you for Darren. Thank you to Darren for being on this show and uh, sharing all that info with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to yourself for being here and listening to the end. I appreciate that. Would uh, love it if you shared this with some of your friends and family members who may find this interesting around the holiday season. Uh, helps us out, helps the show out to uh, kind of spread the word a bit. So we appreciate that. You can tag me on Instagram at Curiosityness Podcast. If you have some thoughts or tips or questions or ideas or criticisms, you can send me an email to Travis at Curiosityness.com, which is also our website, Curiosityness.com, if you want to go there for some reason and check some stuff out. That's all I have to say now. Thanks for listening to episode 75. Happy holidays. Light up your house with some holiday lights and I'll see you next time.